Welcome to Behavioral Grooves, the podcast that explores stories, science, and secrets from the world's brightest thought leaders for the curious at heart. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We like to explore human behavior that will improve your relationships, your well-being, and your organization by helping you find your groove. From best-selling authors to researchers, you will learn insights from the sharpest minds in behavioral science, including psychology, behavioral economics, and neuroscience. We help you uncover behavioral tools and tactics that will help you lead a more fulfilling and purposeful life. And this episode is packed full of great ideas that you can take to work to improve the quality of your work life, Tim. And before we get to our fantastic guest today, I'd like to take a minute to say thank you to those who have given us a really nice rating of the podcast, maybe sharing it with friends, leaving reviews, making commitments on our Patreon site. It's pretty cool for me to see how generous people can be with their reviews and in support of our endeavor. Honestly, it pushes some of the stress of producing our show to the background. So, so thank you. Well, and you are the one who does most of that work. So thank you, people, if you're taking any stress off of Tim, because that just makes my life that much better. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. But it is. It's really true. And we do appreciate all of that. And Tim, that's a really great way to start framing the discussion with our guest in this episode. And because it's National Mental Health Day, we spoke with Chester Elton about the role that anxiety plays at work and how we can all deal with it better. Yeah, Chester Elton is half of the famed Gostick Elton duo with Adrian Gostick that have written a dozen books on how people and workplaces intersect, starting with The Carrot Principle in 2007. Together, their work has focused on how the workplace and the people who are working there can be more productive by focusing on the human side of work. Chester and Adrian's research has shown over and over and over again that the key to really successful companies is really successful relationships with the employees. And because of the pandemic, we wanted to talk with Chester about their most recent book, Anxiety at Work, Eight Strategies to Help Teams Build Resilience, Handle Uncertainty, and Get Stuff Done. Yeah, if you're a leader in an organization looking for ways to support your team at the same time as the operational objectives of the company, or maybe you're a contributor that's looking for some tips on how to deal with leaders or fellow employees, we think you'll get a lot from our conversation with Chester. Yes, we do. And with that, we hope you sit back and relax with an anti-anxiety cushion and enjoy our conversation with Chester Elton. Chester Elton, welcome back to Behavioral Grooves. Hey, always a delight to be with you guys. Thanks for the invite. We're so glad to have you. We are super, super excited. And as you know, we start with a speed round. So I get the first question, which I think is probably the funnest question of all of the no, speed no, round questions. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It is. It is. No, it is. It is. You're totally wrong on that. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Bicycle or unicycle? Oh, bicycle. A unicycle. Are you kidding? Oh. Now, I, I have already had as many children as I want to have. But whenever I see a guy on a unicycle, I go, well. He's ended his family right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a family planning uh, you know, strategy. There you go. <laughs> All right. Live in the city or live in the country? You know, I, I prefer both. And I know that's not the answer you're looking for. I, I love the big city. I love, you know, I grew up in Vancouver, wonderful mm -hmm. international city. We live outside New York City. 
one of the great cities on the planet. And yet we've got a little place in upstate New York. And so when you when the city has given you more than you can handle, you need a place in the country. So uh, I recommend both. I love that answer. In Minnesota, right, we have cabins. <laughs> and you go cabin. off to your cabin in, in Minnesota. You, you know, in yeah. upstate New York, it's your camp. Oh, it's your camp. Yeah, camp. you go up to the camp. Oh. So our camp, as you might guess, is called Camp Carrot. Oh, camp Carrot. Is, is it oh. in the Berkshires? Is it's it in, in the Adirondacks. Okay. Adirondacks, okay. Well, well yeah, and, I guess the Berkshires would, would be in Massachusetts. Sorry about that. That's bad geography. In Wisconsin, they're called cottages. So, you know, you got your cottages, your cabins, your camps, and probably 20 other names for the same same type of thing. But yeah, they're wonderful. All right. What do you want to be when you grow up, Chester? What do you want to be? Kind. Mm, that is, I think, probably one of our best answers ever. I, I have to admit, I stole it from one of my favorite books by Charlie Mackesy called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And it's the story of a little boy. He, he writes this book. He says it's for children from 80 to 8. <laughs> and a little boy is going into the wild, and he makes friends with this little mole, and they're sitting on a tree branch. And the mole asks the little boy, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the boy says, kind. And I oh, love that answer. That is just a Man, fantastic answer. That's I, that's going to be a hard one to ever beat, but that's fantastic. Okay. True or false? Anxiety in the workplace is pretty much going away now that the pandemic is starting to subside. Yeah, false. Uh, yeah, thanks for- uh, you, you, you had to think about that. Yeah, I think yeah. you had to think about that one for more than a half a millisecond. So. You know, it's really interesting. And and and, and, and thank you so much for, for loaning me your wonderful platform to, to, to bring people to the realization that anxiety in the workplace has always been there and was fairly prevalent pre-pandemic. The pandemic really shone a light on it that, you know, it went from basically 30% of employees saying they dealt with some kind of severe anxiety to over 40% to, to in their 20s, uh, almost 45%, you know. Oh. And here's the number that really, uh, a couple that I'll share with you about, you know, that it's not going away and that the ripple effect, I think, will be for at least three to five years. You know, the, the once we're all vaccinated and we feel safe and we're going out, this lingering issue is going to be their idea of, of emotional safety and being safe at work is that 70% of millennials and Gen Z, or as we would say in Canada, Gen Z, <laughs> which you have to admit sounds cooler. Yeah, um, always, always sounds cooler. Always. Yeah. 70% uh, said within the last three years they had left a job due to anxiety or wellness in the workplace. And, and here's why. Only 10%, now this is our database of over a million engagement surveys, 100,000 of our motivators assessments. Only 10% of employees surveyed on this issue feel safe talking to their immediate supervisor or their manager about wellness and in particular about anxiety in the workplace. There's a huge stigma attached to it. It's not fair. It's not right. And the best leaders and the best companies are tackling it head on. So thank you for that question. Simple question, long answer. No, um, this is this is exactly where we wanted to go. I, why do you think the people in their 20s actually have a higher percentage when you said, you know, is that the element that they went from, you know, 30, 40% to 45% of people feeling this anxiety at work in their 20s. What, what is it about the younger generation that is driving that? You know, I, I don't think they're any different. I think we all did. You know, even my generation, we suffered. We just never would admit it. We would never talk about it. Mm. You, you know, if you admitted that you needed a, a mental well-being day off, 
it we you were weak, you couldn't take it. This is our culture, we're demanding, and we will, you know, chew you up and spit you out. So you would never admit it. And this is the conversations that we had. And as you know, on this book, it's not a Gostick and Elton book. It's a Gostick, Elton, and Gostick book. Mm. You know, oh. Anthony Gostick, which is Adrian's son, who's a millennial, gave us some wonderful insights into generations. And we interviewed a lot of millennials. And so they, we you know, we would say, look, our generation would never talk about it. They would say, our generation, it's all we talk about. Mm. We don't think you can solve a problem if you don't talk about it. So this idea that they share it with their friends and, and, and on and on, uh, they bring it to the workplace. And when they find out it's not safe to share it, that's a bit of a whiplash for them, right? Well, why can't we talk about it? Because, you know, the older generation that's still pretty much in control of the workplace, like it or not, you know, our, our generation was you checked your personal life at the door. Well, you know, as soon as the internet became so prevalent and everybody has a smartphone, you don't work nine to five anymore. I, I, you know, I tell my kids, I said, there was a time when you would leave work because you were working late at 5.30 to show the boss you were killing it, maybe six, and no one could get a hold of you yeah. until the next day. And the weekends. It was amazing. <laughs> you had two days where you didn't think about work, you know? Yeah. No one ever said I couldn't get a hold of you over the weekend. It was like, well, of course you couldn't get a hold of me over the weekend. Yeah. What makes you think I wanted to be available <laughs> over the weekend? So this idea where, you know, your work life is your life, your personal life is your life, is this idea that, look, if I've got anxiety in my personal life, it's going to come to the workplace. And that's why, you know, the eight strategies that we talked about, about how you build resilience on your team, how you handle uncertainty and get stuff done. Because when it's all said and done, we got to get stuff done. Yeah. And uh, those trusting workplaces where you've got uh, a manager and a leader that's an ally, you know, that really can, that you can talk to, that you trust becomes ever more uh, important. And, you know, we often talk about the future work. Well, that's the future of leadership, right? This brings a question to my mind about what responsibility do corporations have in just dealing with, with these issues? If in the past, when uh, certainly when I was uh, starting my career, there was no mental health day. The company took no responsibility for it. I simply pushed it off to the side. Now, if the employees are bringing it to the forefront, what are the obligations that companies have to address it? Well, and that's what companies have to decide. You know, because it's a choice. It's like anything, right? Uh, what what uh, commitment do we have to our employees to keep them safe at work? Well, you might say, well, none. You know, it's your choice. You know, you might, do we want to follow the OSHA rules or don't we? What, what obligation do I have to my employees that, to, that they have some kind of insurance or health care? Well, that's a choice. Now, those choices, of course, have ramifications. If I want to go work for you and you've got a, a horrible health care, you don't have child care, I don't think it's safe. And by the way, if I need a mental day off, uh, you're going to ridicule me and demean me. I'm probably not going to work for you. I mean, I'm just <laughs> a, a, a right. couple of job boxes that I might check, right? Um, yeah. And so it, it really is, it's the employer's choice. What we're finding is through the research in our case studies and leaders that we have interviewed, those that choose to engage attract better talent. You know, listen, you want to talk about some of the genius leaders that we, you know, that we venerate in our society, you know, Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos and, you know, the, the, the whole Tesla thing. 
you think those guys suffer from anxiety? You think those guys are just a little off plumb? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. They're, uh, Elon Musk, genius, yeah. brilliant. You think he needs a, a, a couple of mental days off? I don't know, Elon. He doesn't call me. My guess is. <laughs> my guess is yes. So if you want that kind of genius, and it almost it's almost like that kind of genius comes with anxiety. Mm. So if you want to manage that, if you want to have that, you've got to figure it out and you, you've got to make your workplaces safe. And one of the best ways leaders do it is they're not just sympathetic, they're empathetic. And mm. Brene Brown is just brilliant the way she differentiates. And we talk about it in the book. You know, sympathy is, you know, Kurt, you come to me and say, look, I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed. You know, I've got health issues. I'm worried about elderly parents. I've got kids I'm trying to Zoom teach from home. I've got on and on and on. I, you know, I, I need a day off. Well, if I'm sympathetic, I'd go, Kurt, <laughs> bummer, dude. Yeah. That's awful. <laughs> uh, want a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Brene Brown said, want a sandwich? A empathy is, look, you're in a dark hole. And I'm going to climb down into that dark hole with you. And I may not know exactly what you're going through. I can relate to some of it. And I'm going to sit here with you and we're going to figure this out. Yeah. And we're going to help each other out. That's empathy. Now, as we talk about that, and then some of your listeners go, well, geez, you know, as a leader and a manager, I've got quotas, I've got deadlines, I've got customers. And now you're asking me to be a psychiatrist and a psychologist and a counselor. And like, I, I just, look, I just, I don't have the bandwidth. And say, that's okay. You don't have to be a counselor. Think about this, though. If, if, if you went to your best friend and said, I'm dealing with all these issues, and your best friend said, oh, you need to talk to somebody else. How about some medication? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think there's an app you can download. You wouldn't be friends for very long. Now, I'm not saying as a leader, you need to be everybody's best friend. As we were talking to a leader about this, who dealt with it his whole life, he said, look, when people come to you, they don't expect you to have the answers. They know you're not a counselor. They know you're not a psychiatrist. Here's what they expect from you. And it was beautifully simple. They expect you to listen. Just listen. And then let's see what we can figure out together. That's all mm. they want. Because when you immediately go to that default, here's the employee assistance program. Here's the helpline. Get me my report by the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that, that just lets you know that they don't really care. And people want to work in a place where people care about each other. And the first step on that is so beautifully simple. Listen, just sit back and listen. So I want to touch on a couple of things. So one, you talked about eight strategies. So I want to get to that. But even before we go there, I think this is really interesting in the way that a manager needs to manage. and the evolution of that role over time. Again, we talked about when we first started and the different types of things, just you never asked for a mental, you know, relief day or anything along that. You didn't show that anxiety. I think the role of a manager has also shifted, at least for some companies where they're looking at this and saying, look, your role isn't so much that command and control anymore. It is this element of, unleashing the potential within your team. And if you can do that, that's what we need from you. 
And it sounds to me like this is the next step in some in part of that evolution of saying it's not necessarily about making sure that you get that report in at the end of the day and that we hit our numbers. Uh, that's part of it. That's that's the end result. But the way of doing that is is really tapping into the people that you have and unleashing their their potential. Am I overstating that or or would you no, not so at say all. Something different. Yeah, I, I, I think you're you're really onto it. You know, the leader of a manager now is to be much more collaborative. Mm. You know, the command and control is uh, has its its place in some cultures. I'm sure uh, in most cultures, no. You know, the idea that I am the smartest guy in the room, right? I, I think has has really seen its day. And 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 what you want is you want a lot of smart people in the room. Yeah. And say, look, I don't have all the answers. Together, I think we can come up with. You know, we can be geniuses. Alone, I can be smart. Together, we can be Einstein. And I, and I think that's the message. And I think in particular, new people coming into the workplace, their education, their experience is very collaborative. You know, it's online collaboration. It's and, and boy, did the pandemic teach us that you can bring people together in a nanosecond from across the globe. You know, you can have somebody chime in from Taiwan and you can have somebody chime in from New Zealand and, and Bangalore and London and Paris and, you know, Dallas and um, Minnesota. Not as often, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's harder in Minnesota. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely harder it's to just, chime Even in. though it's online, it's still just really cold up there. So, <laughs> you know. Coming from the Canadian. There yeah, we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's it's one of those things where you say, look, we've got to learn how to collaborate. I will share with you a fascinating story of incredible woman that we interviewed for the book. Her name is Nicole Malikowski. Now, Nicole is the first uh, female pilot to fly with the Thunderbirds. So, you know, the demonstration pilots, fighter pilot, trained to be a fighter pilot, you know, top of her class and had decided she wanted to fly with the Thunderbirds. And of course, no woman had ever flown with them and broke that, you know, glass ceiling. And she said, you know, flying with a team is much different than it, when you're a combat pilot and, you know, you've got your wingman and we, we've all, you know, Maverick and Goose, right? We get it. Okay. So she said, it's really interesting when you're flying in formation, it's a different gig and you always hit turbulence. Now you can understand they're, they're flying at 400 miles an hour, a few feet away from each other, sometimes like inverted upside down. So this is like really hard stuff, right? Oh, come on. Who doesn't do that? You know, like every weekend. Come on. Jeez. Yeah. In my dreams. It's so pedestrian. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How hard is it really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. she says, so I'm going up and we're training. And, and sure enough, you know, my, my fighter uh, pilot instincts are kicking in and we, we go through some turbulence. Well, you know, your, your initial reaction is command and control, right? You grab down, you clamp down on that flight stick and you pull that plane back into you know, I'm the master here, right? And uh, so that's what she did. And um, afterwards, they do the debrief and her teammates come over and go, hey, hey, Nicole, just want to coach up a little bit. Uh, yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> she said, you know, when, uh, you know, when you're in formation, uh, you ride through the turbulence. And in fact, the last thing you want to do is grab that stick full throttle. And they gave her this instruction. They said, go to two fingers on the stick. Think about that. I know. Isn't oh, that great, wow. Tim? <laughs> yes. Two fingers it. on the stick because everybody around you is counting on you to ride. We're, we're, we're all in this together. And, and the lesson to leaders, I think, is just so brilliant is we all go through turbulence, whether it's a pandemic or it's a merger acquisition or a deadline or a difficult customer, whatever it might be. 
And when you clamp down and you micromanage, you crush the team. When you pull back and it's a light touch, it's two fingers on the stick, you go, okay, look, this is true. What are we going to do? Here's what we know. Well, here are our resources. Together, let's figure this out. And that illustration and that lesson, the just the visual was so brilliant and so poignant with that. Nicole, that's that's worth its weight in gold right there. Wow. We are talking with Chester Elton about Anxiety at Work, new new book that you have co-authored with Adrian Gosnick. And Anthony Gosnick. And Anthony Gosnick. Thank you. Let's let's talk about the strategies, these eight strategies. What, what do you think are the, say, if, if a manager comes up to you today and says, I just need a tip today, what do you feel right now? Okay, they're all important, but what do you feel is like bubbling up as, I need to make sure that people walk away with these one or two things. What, what's coming to mind? Yeah, well, the first thing, the number one cause of anxiety is, is uncertainty, mm. right? And the number one thing that people are uncertain about is, do I have a job? And it all stems from that. So the thing that I would love leaders to understand is the way that you deal with uncertainty is you've got to ramp up communication big time. You know, when there is that gap, you know, the old adage, no news is good news. That doesn't work anymore. <laughs> when, I don't, when I don't get any news, I immediately think, oh, <laughs> we're being bought, we're being sold. I'm screwed. I'm out of a job, you know. So you need to fill that gap. And have regular meetings and talk to your people and say, look, even when you don't know, tell them you don't know. Because at least then they know that you don't know, right? And we can deal with that. The other thing that leaders need to be really tuned into is to be able to spot anxiety because people are really good at hiding it. They don't want to be weak. They don't want to be called out. And so we coach managers in the book and leaders say, look, look for subtle changes in behavior. Somebody who's never late all of a sudden is showing up late. Somebody who gives just brilliant, you know, detailed reports, all of a sudden the reports are just not that great. Somebody who's uh, engaging, you know, in, in the meetings is all of a sudden pulling back or there's outbursts that are uncharacteristic, you know, and as leaders, we, we tend to see things like that and say, well, it's a one-off or they're having a bad day or whatever. When you're tuned into the fact that most of your team, if not all of your team, and by the way, yourself, right, are dealing with some anxiety and some uncertainty, you can hone in on that. and then. What we say is, and that's the time when, again, you up your communication and, and do some one-on-ones. Now, we also say, look, uh, hey, Kurt, listen, I, I, I've noticed, you know, things have been changing a little bit for you. If you're starting to show up late, your reports aren't as, are you dealing with anxiety? <laughs> 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 no, no, not me. Yeah, yeah. it's a great, come on, right? Yeah. We, we've got a great quote in the book, never in the history of the world has telling somebody to calm down ever calmed down anybody, right? <laughs> you need to tell the British that. Uh, and they had put a whole <laughs> advertising campaign on, on, on that thing. Which but, was yeah. a World War II era piece, by the way. So, <laughs> like, The world has changed. Stay calm and carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so what you want to do is you want to say, hey, listen, I've just noticed some things that are just uncharacteristic with you. And I got to tell you, I am burning out as well. I really Mm -hmm. am. And I I know it's tough. And if there's stuff going on and you want to talk about it, I just want you to know I'm here to listen. Just the other day, we had a blow up at our house with our kids and it just completely derailed me. So I get it. So listen, just, just just let me know if there's anything going on and you think I can help, let me know. I'm here. So Chester, what it sounds like, and this is research that I know from um, psychological safety, yeah. is showing vulnerability yourself allows that vulnerability to come out in others. And that's what I'm hearing you say. 
Exactly. And, and that's really tough for managers because yeah. we, we tend to be command and control. We, we, we want to be the one that never has a bad day. We're always, you know, we're the ones that lift everybody up. How can I yeah. be that Put on that good face, right? You know. Exactly. I, I will tell you, um, one of the guys we interviewed, and we've gotten to be good friends, and I just love him to death, is a guy named Chris Rainey. And Chris had this events company that was just knocking it out of the park. Of course, COVID comes, you can't have events. Transitioned beautifully to online events and is, is just killing it. Dealt with anxiety ever since he was a little kid. And and. You would never in a million years, if you met Chris Randy, you'd go, if there's one guy on the planet that has got it completely together, that has never had a bad day in his life, it's Chris. And he would he hid it from his best friend who became his business partner. He hid it from his family, from his wife. Oh. And and he and because he didn't want to be the victim. He didn't want to appear to be weak. And so he lied, as we do. Why aren't you coming to the uh, to the family outing? You know what? I just don't feel great. I just don't feel. Great. I got a little stomach. You know, go ahead without me, or or you know what? I've got this thing I got to do at work, and I, I I know I know. Or he would leave early. You know, I, I just got this thing, and and what do people think of a person that gives you all those excuses? They're a jerk, and they don't care. Family isn't important. Friends aren't important. You know, uh, wouldn't show up sometimes at work and, and would, would beg out for um, whatever. So get this. He's got a wonderful podcast, HR Leaders. Highly recommend it. If you're in HR, you should know Chris Rainey. <laughs> so he says, I'm doing this podcast and we've got this CHRO of our major pharmaceutical. And he's talking about anxiety in the workplace. Now, at the time, pre-COVID, his whole staff is, they loved sitting in and listening to the podcast live. So they're all listening in. And he says, you know what? I've suffered from anxiety my entire life and it's been debilitating for me. And then he realizes where he is, wow. <laughs> turns around and his whole staff is looking at him with their mouths wide open with their, with bug eyes. Yeah. He's like, Oh crap. Yeah. Now here's what happened. And here's the lesson. Do you know what? Every one of his employees came up to him later and said, me too. Fantastic. It's it's oh. fantastic to, from that perspective of showing that vulnerability and what that can do. I also think it's really poignant that you point out that he was lying about this for for so long. We just interviewed Seth Stevens, David Davidowitz, is did I pronounce his last name, yeah. Tim, uh, who's done this great research on lying in this uh, by looking at what people say in social media and different things by versus looking what they say in their Google searches. And there's this big disconnect because, again, what he's talking about is, look, we don't say these things to our friends, but Google is this non, you know, it's not going to pass judgment on me. And it's an information that I get. And the, that the number of people that are lying about these types of things around the anxiety, the Google searches around that, I'd be interested to ask Seth, like, hey, what, you know, I have anxiety. What do I do about it or anything with anxiety versus what they, they post, post out in there? social media to their friends. That's not something that you talk about. It's not something, as you said, he didn't talk about it. Chris didn't talk about it with his, with his wife, with his best friend, business partner. Yeah. And, and here's what happened. And back to, you know, it's all we talk about. We, our generation would never talk about it. He said, everybody rallied. Mm. He said, my relationship with my employees got better. My relationship with my wife got better. My best friend, my family, because they'd say, Hey, Listen, we've got this big thing. Now, look, if you can only come for a few minutes, 
don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We just love to see it for as long as you can stay. Now get this, and this is what I love. Since he has done that, he has not had another anxiety attack. Oh my gosh. Now he's come close and he says, look, I get what it is. I've got to get my sleep. I've got to eat well, and I've got to exercise. And when I don't do those three things, and I was amazed how many times that came up for people with anxiety. I've got a, a ritual, a routine, and it's almost mm-hmm. always there's, there's some kind of meditation, there's eating well, there's exercising, and sleep. You know, the old badge of honor is, I only need three hours of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> well, do, yeah, that, whatever. do that for a week and get back to me. You know? um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's really interesting that he said since then, because he talked about it, people rallied around him. And now, A, not only do they not think he's a jerk and a liar, right? <laughs> they yeah. appreciate the fact that he is so vulnerable, that he's a good friend, that he's there for him. And he's told his staff, look, there are going to be days where I'm not going to show up. Now, I'm not going to lie to you anymore. I'm just going to say, I needed a day off. And when you need a day off, all you got to do is tell me. No judgment. No, you know, just let us know. We'll fill in. The work will get done. And when you're ready, come on back. We have this rich data set of the number of people who game systems is pretty low. Like, I think managers are still in the back of their mind worried like, oh, people are going to take advantage of that. My employees are going to take advantage of me with the, I need a day off uh, kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I just need a mental, you know, I just need a mental health day. But that happens pretty rarely that, that there are people who are actually out to sort of take advantage of the system. Is that a fair statement? Oh, I, I think 100%. You know, we talked about it in our book, Leading with Gratitude, and I think it's, it's very prevalent or very meaningful, meaningful for anxiety as well is assume positive intent. Mm. Yeah. You know, Hubert Jolie, who's, who's got a, a new book out, by the way, we're plugging all these books, which is wonderful. To- <laughs> <laughs> For all these people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's right around here. It's the heart of, of leadership. You know, the new uh, capitalism where he took over Best Buy. It was, uh, uh, you know, yep. in a billion dollar deficit, he took him to a billion dollar surplus. He created meaningful work. He wasn't he a Canadian, by the way, wasn't he? He's French. Oh, <laughs> damn. Hubert Jolie, come on. Jolie. I mean, he could have been Quebecois, but yeah, no, he's- uh... I, I thought he was Quebecois. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a Minnesota company. So there you go, Best Buy. <laughs> there you go, hey, there company. you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you betcha. And he said, you know, I never thought I'd like cheese soup, but I do, and I don't know why. <laughs> um, so here's, you know, getting back to reality, he said, look, I, I, I may be naive. I assume 99% of people come to work wanting to do a good job, and, and they'll make mistakes, and that's okay. Now, what I love about what you brought up there, Tim, is I hate and it's probably not a strong enough word, hate. I hate managers that manage to the lowest common denominator. Mm. One person breaks the rule or takes advantage. And so now we've got this whole policy that applies to everybody. You know, come on. It was one person that screwed up probably unintentionally. Deal with that and let's move on. Let's teach correct principles and let people govern themselves. Do you, you, know, you know what I mean? And, and every now and again, there's a bad guy. I get it. Every now and again, there is somebody that's gaming the system. And then you know what? You manage to that person. You don't manage to that lowest common denominator. And, and that's the thing with, with, with anxiety. And as we start treating people with more civility and more respect is, look, there's something up. What is it? Mm. What cause, you know, let's figure this out. Let's figure out so it doesn't happen again. I'm not going to assume that you're trying to take advantage of me. I'm going to assume that you were trying to do the right thing and you made a mistake. And you know what? That's okay. Now, 
you know, you make the same mistake 15 times. Yeah, that's an issue. You know, we got we to <laughs> deal with that. So that's what I love about leaders like Hubert Julie. You know, and, 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 you know, we talk often about Gary Ridge at WD-40, this tribal culture where not only is it psychologically safe to make a mistake, it's emotionally safe. And I think that's the next level. In your podcast that you have on the same anxiety at work podcast, right? right. I listened to a few of those. And, and again, it was you were interviewing Anthony and a quote that he had that I just found amazing, which ties back into this is he said, you know, Science is just failure with notes. It's this idea of, all right, you failed. Great. Let's take some notes. What did we learn from that? And now let's move on and find the next failure because that's only going to to move us forward. And it was interesting how he talked about that because we so feel often in organizations that failure is this horrible thing and I have to avoid it at all costs or I need to hide it or I need to do something else. And that as you guys talked about, leads to some of this anxiety. So, And total dysfunction. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, we talk about in the book about uh, perfectionism. And again, if I'm anxious about my job or my career, I want everything to be perfect. Well, you know, if you, if you look at the productivity arc, <laughs> you know, I mean, good is getting a lot of stuff done. You know, great is, yeah, the next level. Going from great to perfect, the amount of effort you have to put in to get that last couple of percentage points that nobody cares about. Now, <laughs> we do make the distinction, say, look, if I'm having open heart surgery, yes, I want you to be perfect. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't want to say, you know what? Good enough. Stitch him up. <laughs> you know? So there are certain areas where you go, yeah, perfection is the goal. In most cases, it's not. And, and that's where a ton of anxiety comes in. You know, where. You're working through the weekend, doing that report over for the third and fourth time because you want to be indispensable because you're perfect. Well, good heavens. And that's where, you know, again, we coach up leaders say, look, set clear expectations. Say, look, Mm. this is what I need. It doesn't have to be perfect. And when I say it doesn't have to be, I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah, do spell check. Yeah, do that. (laughs) You know, I just need the basics and, and I need it, you know, I need it by the end of the week. Don't have it leather bound, gold embossed (laughs) ribbon, you know, um, it it really, because if you don't say that, people will interpret that, oh, well, if I really want to stand out, if I really want to have job security. So this idea of perfectionist, and we we, we do talk about the duck syndrome, which I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, and and this is the Facebook life, right? Mm. And it's, look at that duck. Oh, beautiful. Just skimming effortlessly effortlessly across the pond when of course underneath they're paddling like mad and and that's and that's what we do we we have this this facebook life where every vacation is just extraordinary and all our children are beautiful and smart and and, you know uh, they speak three languages and my my daughter who's six years old has just been accepted to mit you know (laughs) and you should feel good for me and ashamed of yourself yeah uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, we've really got to manage that kind of stuff. And like you say, be very empathetic, be very real with each other and say, look, I, we're all dealing with this stuff. And, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, let's be, let's be kind, right? Let's be grateful and let's be of service to each other. You know, and that's, that's my morning mantra. You wake up in the morning and say, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be grateful and I'm going to serve. And I, for me, if, if I can do that, I'm not going to be nearly as anxious or caught up or, or worried about my day or myself, right? Now, that's me. And we're very clear in the book. 
everybody's got their thing. You know, I, I got a tip from a guy one time and he said, for me, I've got to get in motion. When I get mm. up in the morning, I got to get in. For some people, it's like, if I can get to the shower, I'm good. <laughs> right? For me, it's I've got to get up and get out and go for a walk and say yeah. my morning prayers and my morning meditation. And I've got a friend that just had a stroke and uh, he's in all this recovery. And uh, I send him a little graphic and a little bit of encouragement and go, hey, buddy, I'm, I'm cheering for you. And that's just my little way of saying, hey, as bad as my day is, I haven't had a stroke. Mm, yeah. And for my friend that has had a stroke, I don't want him to ever feel, and this is such an important message in the book for people that, people that are dealing with anxiety or whatever, that you are not alone. Because boy, when you're dealing with anxiety, you get in this, I am in the, this deep, dark pit all by myself. And there's nobody to talk to. And there's nobody that will understand I have just got to figure this out all by myself. And boy, that's when not only does it not get better, it gets dangerous. And we need to be there for each other. There are some online resources to get people together, though, that you have set up. Can you spend just a minute telling listeners about the kind of support that you've got online and on the web? Yeah, thanks for that, Tim. But we, we decided with this book that it couldn't just be the book and then we tour and speak, you know, and, and maybe put a little bit of training behind it. We really felt the call to have a podcast, to bring in experts. And we always say, so how do you deal with it? What, what tips have you seen? Uh, business leaders and so on. This is how we, we do it. The, the tools. Uh, the other part of that is we realized that we were probably the only authors on the planet that didn't have a podcast. So we felt like we should, you know, <laughs> yes. um, check that box, right? Um, yes. The other one, though, that has been really interesting, and we're growing and, and learning this as well. We thought, you know, let's create an online community. And it's it's we thrive together.global, not .com because we couldn't get it. So it's .global. We thrive together.global. And, and we bill it as it's, it's a free community. It's a safe place to talk about anxiety and wellness in the workplace. And we've got, you know, leaders, we've got, you know, team members, we've got doctors, we've got coaches and counselors, and we'll, we'll put stuff out there. We put our podcast in there and say, what do you think? What were your takeaways? If you could talk to your younger self about dealing with anxiety, in the world, what, knowing what you know now, what would you tell him? Or her, and once a month we do a little a little workshop. We'll bring in a a doctor or a coach. We we've started to do little uh, sessions where we do a a sneak peek or a deeper dive into one of the eight strategies, and we broadcast that through our LinkedIn and Facebook networks and just anything we can do, you know, to to say, look, you know, we've got to normalize this. Everybody has dealt with it at some degree, and if and if you say you haven't, you're lying. You just are. We all have. So step one is normalize it. It's just like if you broke your leg skiing, we would give you time off to get it fixed. Of course we would. Secondly is to destigmatize it. And that's where the trust comes in. And that's where the trust comes in, that, that this is a safe place to talk about. We're not going to put it in your jacket. Thank you so much for being so honest. You know, you're never going to get promoted. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, you know, that ship has sailed, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we destigmatize it. And then thirdly is this idea that we've got to be more empathetic leaders. Sympathy is fine. Empathy is where we want to go. So in the community, we talk about that a lot. In the book, you know, if you were to say, what's the one thing you want people to take away? Well, don't let people believe that they're alone. Normalize it, destigmatize it. 
and empathize. And, and boy, you will do a lot of good for your company, for your customers, for your people, because you know what? We just don't want to make better workers anymore. We want to make better yeah. people. And that's what your employees are expecting from you, by the way. I just don't want to be more efficient. I want to become a better person. And when, and when you get that, you know, it's not just a better way to lead. It's a better yeah. way to live. I'm sure Tim at this point is thinking about a musical question. So, because <laughs> he always is. And, and I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Tim. Chess, I, I want to know what your anxiety, anti-anxiety playlist is these days. Yeah, you know, there, I have two go-to songs. And one is, without question, is Pharrell. You know, happy mm. from Despicable yeah. Me too. I mean, <laughs> yep. you know, if you listen to that song and it doesn't cheer you up, you know, I'm praying for you. You know, because uh, <laughs> you're gonna need those prayers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second one, I just get such a kick out of it, and it's 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 Monty Python. You know, I grew up in Canada, and you know, John Cleese and the whole you know uh, flying circus is. Always look on the bright side of life. It is <laughs> life just, of Brian. yeah, uh, the life yeah, of Brian. Life of Brian you know? yeah. And yeah. it's, uh, you know, uh, I can't listen to it and not laugh and cheer and and hit repeat. You yeah. know, it's just especially it's, knowing that Eric Idle was singing it from across <laughs> <laughs> and whistling, yeah. you yeah. know, as he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's 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 just uh, yeah. I, I I'm with you, uh, Tim. Uh, music is a great balm. It is, and when you're on a walk and you, and you should have that go that go to playlist you know the one song you probably shouldn't listen to if you're anxious is uh, by you know talking heads psycho killer you know yeah. <laughs> i would i would i would delete that from your from your from your playlist and there are so many positive songs out there you know uh, yeah. i'll tell you what's really funny this this was last night i went to a hockey game um, devils versus the and we won uh, which was a rare occasion is um, Beatles, the, the Beatles playlist. is There's so many of those songs, yeah. you know. Good Day Sunshine, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm fixing a, a, a hole where the rain came in, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. uh, it's yeah. uh, you know, there's, and, and the thing about the Beatles playlist is those songs are short. I don't know if you <laughs> realize that back then songs were short. You know, yeah. they were like, you know, three minutes. So, two, two, three minutes. Yeah, so Pharrell and uh, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life are, are, are two go-to songs for me. And you make it sound like there's some special Canadian connection to the Monty Pythons, you know. Uh, well, we, have the really? we have the queen on our coin. Oh. <laughs> we are part of the Commonwealth. You see, in the Commonwealth, we grew up just a little differently. We have a global view, you know, Australia, yeah, New Zealand, Hong Kong. True. It is, you know. See, when we have a world championship, you know, sporting event, we actually invite other countries to participate. Super Bowl champ, the world champion Super between what? Tampa <laughs> what Bay countries? and yeah, who was, who was yeah. So yes, and you know, there, it is different in Canada when you know we speak English. <laughs> we could go on and on. Uh, John Cleese has a great routine about what is, what's the difference between Americans and, and, and Englishmen. Of course, his first one is, is we speak English. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, and on and on. So yeah, there you know, and it is. Listen, when you're Canadian and you grew up uh, beside a 900 pound gorilla, trust me, there's a lot of anxiety there. <laughs> oh my gosh! There you go. We could have a whole episode on that, and I'm sure yeah. all our Canadian listeners would be be excited. Chester, thank you. This, as always, is both insightful, but also just you know, we have more laughs per minute in in our conversations with you than I think the, the rest of the, the week combined. And so. plenty of insights. So yes. thank you, thank you, thank you. Good. Well, listen, again, uh, it's always a delight to be with the two of you. You have such great positive energy and, and you're putting that out into the world and the world needs as much as that as we can get. And just again, in closing, um, I love the fact that you loan me your followership and your platform to talk about this wonderful uh, and important issue of anxiety at work. It, it really is. And and, and again, listen, if you're out there and you're suffering from anxiety, you are not alone. You know, tune into our, our online community. We thrive together.global. Listen, my email's really simple. It's Chester at ChesterElton.com. And if you are in a deep, dark place and you need somebody to talk to, trust me, I will not be judgmental. We have had family members be, in, be there. I've been there. My co-authors, the son's been there. We've all been there. And if there's anything we can do to help, we will. I promise you, please trust me. Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our discussion with Chester, have a free flowing conversation and talk about whatever else comes into our anti-anxiety immune brains. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice if we had a anti-anxiety, you know, vaccine that we could just put in and feel knowing. Actually, would that be good? So a certain yeah, amount of anxiety, wow. good. Anyway. Yeah. I, how could we, a real appreciation of the good things in life without a little bit of salt, you know, well, without a little bit of challenges, without a little bit of anxiety or worry from time to time. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not advocating in general for it, but I think it might be part of just what life is. Well, you know, I think there is a certain amount of stress that is good for us. And and anxiety is a form of stress. I think the long-term impact that anxiety brings, though, is not. And that's the piece, I think, that is there, that anxiety is this overarching, long-term negative factor that plays into into what we're doing. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. There it is. There it is. All right. Are we done? Is that it? (laughs) Or are we going to groove? Are we going to groove on anything that Chester actually said or just pontificate on our own well you know how much we love pontificating but we do have some cool things that chester brought up that i think would be worth pontificating on and i think the first one is anxiety in the workplace isn't new it's just bigger and and we've we've talked about this it's not so much that it's just bigger but how much bigger it is these days it's a big damn problem (laughs) <laughs> really, really big damn problem. I laugh, when it comes I to laugh and, and it's a nervous anxiety filled laugh because of how much bigger it is. But <laughs> yeah. no, you're really, that, that's so true. This idea that, hey, we've had anxiety. We've always had anxiety as human species. We probably had anxiety from the very beginning. But the idea that anxiety at work is new is not true. We've had it there. But the scale of anxiety and stress at work has just, Exactly. I mean, it's just blown up. And that is scary. That causes me anxiety. So, well, there is a real economic cost to all of this, too. And Paul Greenberg and colleagues 
did a study that identified that in 1990, mental illness cost the U.S. economy $42 billion. That's billion with a B. And that's about three quarters of a percent of the, of the U.S. economy. And that number in 2010, so 30 years later, 20 years later, excuse me, <laughs> went to, uh, should get my math right. Um, in 2010, that number was $211 billion. Which, it, which at that time was about one and a half percent of the, of the economy. So it continued to expand, not just in raw numbers, but it actually doubled as a percentage of the economy. So the cost to American innovation, to workers, to products, to services that are being sold, it's like having a tax on everything that we, that we do. And it's, it's pretty damn expensive. Well, and you go back to what Chester said about just some of the other research on just recently. So that was 10 years ago. And he talked about, you know, severe anxiety that, hey, it went from 30% of employees saying they dealt with some kind of severe anxiety to over 40%. And then for people in their 20s, that was almost 45%. So that's huge when we think about that. And that's just within the past, you know, that's definitely within the past 10 years. So that cost is not only increased in, mere numbers, but just think about the impact that that has and the ripple as as he talked about over the course of other people that it's impacting. It's not necessarily just the people that have the anxiety, but there's ripple effects with others within the organization. So it is a huge damn problem, which I think is, is a big piece. And one of the takeaways that people can have from this is this idea that, you know, Anxiety has been around and people might have just dismissed it. And it's like, yeah, that's important. But I don't know if we realize the economic impact that it had, not just the the personal impact that anxiety has, but the economic impact. So as a as an organization, as a leader, you should be doing something about this, not just because you're a good person and care about the people that work for you, but because, God damn it, there is a cost on this. And if you can decrease the level of stress, decrease the anxiety that people have, that's going to make an impact. So don't think about this as a nice to have. This is a need to have thing that is going on within your organization. So take that. Absolutely. Uh, what else did you want to group I sounded on? mad there, didn't I? I thought there was a little bit of, uh, you know, anxiety in there, a little bit of stress, a little bit of motivation, a little bit of drive. A little bit of, t- of determination. Yeah, that's yeah. good, man. Well, I Bring think it th- on. there's just something about this that I think it's too easy for people to just dismiss this. That's too, it's the it's the common reframe. It's it's mental health in general. We either, you know, sweep it under the rug. We don't talk about it. We don't deal with it. And you know what? That has implications. And those implications are not just economic, but they're human. And, you know, if the damn human impact doesn't make you change, well, then maybe the the stupid economic impact will. So sorry about that, folks. No, you sound like you're mad as hell and you're not going to take it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to take it. What was that? That was, you know, anyway. We're not going to take it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Who, who, who was that? That was a hair quiet, band. No, not the quite 80s. right. It was the Twisted Sister, wasn't it? Twisted Twist, Sister. Yeah. Twisted Twist. Sister. There you go. D. Snyder. There. Oh. There it is. Yeah. Oh, okay. For all you, all you younger listeners, look that up. Just see what Twisted Sister was like back from the <laughs> 80s. There you go. All right. What's next? 
What's on your list? Um, you know, I thought we can talk about being authentic leaders because I thought that was yeah. that was key. He talked about this idea of, hey, be authentic. And I think, you know, as people, we have a good BS detector so that when people are inauthentic, that we can smell that out. So this idea of being authentic and as part of that is being vulnerable, you know, having a, a little bit of vulnerability. Um, and we've talked about that before, but this idea that, hey, if somebody is stressful, you don't just tell them, hey, get back to your work, but talk about how, yeah, I've, I'm under stress too. And yeah. and here are things and let's make sure you take care of yourself. Yeah. Leaders don't have to be therapists. They just have to be good listeners. And, and I think that if you're one of those leaders that's like, ah, eh, that's a bunch of baloney. I don't need to do that. Well, my message to them is buckle up, buttercup, because this is we're entering a new phase in the way we think about management and leadership, that we have to be good listeners, right? That, And by the way, leaders are employees too. So why shouldn't they get the same kind of transparency that everybody else is wanting and desiring and needing, really? Um, yeah. I think that th these are important things that we're, we're not... We're not doing. And hopefully with better leadership, with more transparent leadership, with more authentic leadership, we could have people being more productive, right? We can yeah. create environments that are more psychologically safe and that could lead to tremendous, tremendous improvements in, in productivity. And I liked how Chester talked about this idea that he assumes that what 99% of people coming to work want to do a good job. And yeah. this idea that if you assume that your employees just like you Right. You want to come in and do a good job unless you're one of the, those other people that don't. But for the most part, we want to go in and do a good job. Yeah. And we have they have good intentions. But, you know, we have that fundamental attribution error where I don't do a good job because of the situation and they're not doing a good job because they don't want to do it. And that's, <laughs> that's right. false. Right. The idea right. is that, no, they're wanting to do it. But what are we putting in their way? What kind of stresses are they under? What is the anxiety that they're feeling? that is impeding them from doing a good job. And let's get those friction points out of the way and make it better for everybody. So that's another takeaway. You know, make sure that you're doing this assumption that you're not having the assumption that people are coming in with a negative attitude and want to do something bad, but you come in with a positive attitude that people want to be there. They want to do a good job. And hey, let's find ways to take those friction points away. Absolutely. I, I wanted to end or at least make sure that we talked about this idea that in general, he, he kind of suggests that life is better with a little less perfectionism, you know, that it's important for leaders to have set clear expectations. This is what we need to do, uh, but it doesn't have to be perfect. A and I think it's really important to remember that there's a lot of jobs, a lot, a lot of jobs that are being done that do not require the precision of open heart surgery or brain surgery. You know, there you want a high level of precision. You you want to get it really right. Well, with my brain, they could go in there and, and move a bunch of stuff around and it wouldn't hit anything important anyway. So, but outside of that, yes, I agree with you, right? This idea that, you know, are we maxim? Are we trying to maximize everything or can we be satisficers in this? Can we go back to yeah. this idea that, hey, is it good enough? Because if it's good enough, do we need to get that extra peace. And sometimes we do. Sometimes I think there are places for that, but that can't, I don't think that should be the modality on everything, particularly if, as we talked about with uh, a, another guest about this idea that, 
hey, is this vital? Is this key to what we're trying to achieve? And if it's not, then we don't need to necessarily put that whole emphasis and killing ourselves for that last 5%, you know? Yeah. And let's put our ego aside, you know, in, in situations like that as well, because it's just too, too easy in that leadership role to start to feel some sense of hubris, like, well, I'm in this role because I'm right. Mm. And, and so if I, if I believe it or think it or say it, it's probably better than everybody else. Well, again, <laughs> Buckle up, buttercup. It's it might not be. So. Yeah, no. I mean, we all fall prey to this, right? I mean, it's it's one of these things that if it's our idea, it's probably it's it's based on our own understanding of the situation and various different things. But that isn't always a hundred percent accurate view of the world. And so, yeah, take that approach of saying maybe. Maybe the one that I'm, I'm the one that needs to change. Maybe I need to, to do something like this. And I thought it was really interesting when he talked about, again, what leaders can do around this is setting expectations, um, making sure that they understand that it doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs yeah. to be to the point where it's, it's good enough, right? So we can normalize that. So it, it's good. And, and this idea too, and I, and I love, you know, we're right now, we're recording this, the Olympics are going on. And, you know, Simon Biles, who just went out from and stopped competing because of the, some of the mental aspects that are going on. And I well think said. this is, but it could be a key turning point in, in how organizations look at this. Because if we realize that even world-class gymnasts and um, sports stars have this, then you know what? Our everyday workers probably have those stresses as well. And it's okay to take a break and it shouldn't be stigmatized. It shouldn't be, you know, we don't have to be perfect. We can take a break. We can do that. And that should be okay. Absolutely. It should. Along those lines, you you used the word normalize earlier, and that just got me thinking about the things that Chester talked about as things that we could do in the workplace. Like I think one of the coolest takeaways from that part of the discussion was to say, hey, we could we can work to normalize the idea of mental health days. Mm. Right. Because he said, what did he, he said? If if you broke your leg skiing, you'd take time off to get it fixed. And no one <laughs> yep. no one would say, What are you doing? Oh my gosh, did you know that Kurt took time off because he broke his leg? Oh my gosh. You know, that let's let's normalize it. And then the second is destigmatize it. Let's just remove all of the stigma from the whole thing. And then lastly, let let's just empathize a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. that three really great takeaways I thought that that Chester offered up. Well, and empathy again is different than sympathy. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sympathy is is when you feel sorry for something or you share, you know, that that idea like, oh, I feel sorry for you. Empathy is when you understand the feelings of another. Right. And and that you understand what they're going through. And so you feel that. So, yeah, I think that's a key differentiator that, you know, put yourself in their shoes and have some empathy for them. Um, yeah. As, as yeah. Because when, especially when you're outside, you, you don't have to know what they're feeling. You just, you just be willing to need to understand 
their feelings and yeah. be willing to understand their feelings. Yeah. One last thing is I he Chester said something. He said something about if employee employers expect employees to work all hours, they have to deal <laughs> with the consequences. And I just thought, <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So this idea that you don't have a personal life or that your personal life gets in the way of work. Well, you know, in the past, that was just almost accepted in some industries that you were on call 24 seven, that you would drop everything going on to answer that customer request. And, you know, you know, forget about your kids soccer game, forget about going out on date night with your wife, forget about just taking time for yourself and and relaxing and and recharging. No, you have to answer to the boss or to the client or whoever that is, and you got to get back right away. Well, there's a cost to that. And you know what? Companies that expect that, I think are going to pay a huge cost moving forward because I don't think they're going to get the top talent. I don't think they're going to be doing the things that they think that is driving because it just leads to burnout and a number of other things. So, yeah, I want to be an advocate of some work that uh, Karen Schulmanand and Gwen Jones did in 1996 when they discovered that anxiety levels could be reduced in employees when they got massages. So I just want to say... <laughs> I thought you were going somewhere totally different with that. I just want to say more massages. That's that's what I'm All saying. Right. So is that is that what we're 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 leaving the takeaway here? Everybody should go out and get a massage. I, yes. I it's, it's not a bad idea. I, I reduces I totally workplace support. stress. I could use a massage right now. Well, there you go. God, it's a good idea, isn't it? Oh, oh man. yeah, this is stressful. Yeah. This behavioral groove stuff. <laughs> gotta get it right. Gotta get it perfect. We gotta maximize it, Tim. Are you on call later tonight when I when I worry about this? Can I call you up at midnight? Yeah. No, no, you you can't. <laughs> no, because you're not paying for my massage. <laughs> no. If I paid for your massage, would you let me go? Anyway. All right. Well, folks, I think that wraps up another episode of Behavioral Grooves. We hope, we hope, hope, hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Chester Elton. I know that that I did, and I'm pretty sure that Tim did. He is always just a pleasure to have on the show. And I hope that you can find ways of bringing some of his tips into your work and life, things like gratitude and understanding. Uh, there's no better way to express some gratitude, you know, for anything, including a review we received recently. I think this might be a good time to say thank you to well, people who leave reviews. Yes. So that's that's a fantastic intro here, Tim. So we got a absolutely wonderful review from Linskin, who had some very glowing things to say about us, made us blush, actually, when we read this. <laughs> but she, but uh, Linskin, I don't know if it's a he or a she said, I love these podcasts. Not only do I get to hear from the smartest minds on the planet, obviously not you and me, Tim. Apparently um, someone know, else yeah. is talking. But yeah. also Tim and Kurt have an easy camaraderie and style that makes listening a pleasure. It's hands down the best way to learn about why we do what we do. And I apply something from every single session to both my professional and personal life. Keep up the great work, guys. So thank you. Thank you, Linskin. That it just means a lot to us. And we are we are very grateful. Yeah, thank you. We are grateful for your kind words, Lynn Skin. That's fantastic. And and getting back to Chester, we want to recap with uh, some of the most important things that you can do regarding anxiety in the workplace in three short words. And the first one is normalize. 
right? It's the idea that we need mental health breaks. If your liver or your lungs or your heart is suffering, you take time off work. It should be the same for your mind. Second, let's destigmatize mental health among our friends and coworkers. It's real and it's on the rise and it's more common among younger people than ever before. Stop calling people derogatory names for feeling blue or needing a day off of emotional recovery. We need to give them a break. We need to make sure that mental health is not something that people need to hide. Amen. And lastly, empathize. And remember that in general, sympathy is when you share the feelings of another, but empathy is when you understand the feelings that another one has, but you don't necessarily share them. So treat people that you think might be suffering with some respect and let them know that you're there to support them should they need it. Give them a break. Kind of getting back to what Kurt just said. And with that, thank you for spending some time with us. And we hope that this week you take some of Chester's advice and go out and find your group. Mm-hmm.